I'm going to be doing the third, the final part in three-part series on using your gifts. And the first one, three weeks ago, I talked about how every single person is needed for the growth of the church. And God's plan is not a few superpowers, but every single person, and he's given everybody something, and that person is needed. So as a body here, we have a lot of different gifting, and you are needed if you're part of this body, because that's what God's plan is. Last week, we talked about what those looked like in practice, and I gave out a handout, and lots of people filled them in, and we're going to start the process of really engaging everybody and developing your gifts and helping you to grow in that and starting the discussion about what your gifts could be. Today, I want to talk about how you are empowered to use your gifts. What is the power that enables you to go forward with them, to move in those gifts? And um, I want to ask the question to start with, before I launch into this, do you ever feel that you're living a defeated life as a Christian? Uh, Jesus said to us, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Do you ever feel that you're not having life more abundantly as a Christian? This is a topic that Christians have written for the last 2,000 years, hundreds of books on. Uh, because so many people feel they're struggling, that they're defeated, they're not having victory. Um, and the question is, what is the secret of the Christian life? What's the secret of having victory? Is there a golden key that if you have it, it will open the door? Uh, or um, are we doomed to have no answers? As so I said, there have been hundreds of answers that have come up in the last 2,000 years. And you're very blessed today because I'm going to give you the right answer. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to address this problem and I'm going to give you some answers. But um, um, we'll see how this goes. And I believe, I, I truly believe what I have today is going to be helpful to everyone here. Um, so my goal then is to address the question, how do I have power to produce fruit in my life as I use the gifts God has given me? How do I have power to have to produce fruit in my life as I use the gifts God has given me? And I've got three parts to this. Uh, the first thing, we're going to look at ideas that are out there for having victory that have been around since uh, the New Testament was written. The second, we're going to look at John 15 and the story of how one man found the answer. And then finally, we're going to look at our story. Um, now, I want to say, right to start with, there is not a one-size-fits-all answer. Um, but there are some answers that people have found, and I'm going to focus on one man's uh, story about how he found an answer, which I think is actually relevant to everyone here. I think it's, uh, it's relevant, and it may not be the only answer, but it's, I think it is an answer for everyone here. So, first of all, then, ideas that are out there for having victory. What is the secret of victory? The secret, how we have victory in the Christian life. So here are some suggestions that are out there. Uh, first one, the spiritual disciplines approach. Uh, praying long enough or hard enough, fasting, reading the Bible enough, uh, worshipping, soaking in God's presence, doing enough of those things. 
And I want to say that this, these are good things. These are important things. And I don't want to say that these are not the answer. But what I want to say is that people have tried to focus on this and they found that there's still something missing. So these are good things, all of these are good things, but they are not, I believe, the ultimate answer to this question. Uh, the second one is the opposite of that, it's just stop trying. You know, your problem is uh, what you need to do is to give up and let go and let God. You may have heard that expression, let go and let God. You know, the trouble is you're trying to do it in your own strength. Just throw yourself on him and allow him to do it in you. And there's an element of truth to that that it's his strength that takes us through and we can be just trying to do it in our, on our own. Unfortunately, um, the people who do number two are usually the people who are not very disciplined and really don't want to do the hard work of self-discipline. And so they just say, okay, I'm, I'm going to let go and let God. Um, so it's, although in theory it can be a good approach in practice, it hasn't produced that many answers. The third one, which you, you may hear, is a crisis experience. What you need to have is some kind of God encounter, whether it's some some uh, spirit spirit filling, repentance, second blessing, something. And again, I want to say, God encounters are good. I don't want to in any way denigrate those. I've had God encounters. I've had encounters with the Holy Spirit that have been powerful. The trouble is that if you get to a model that the problem with your life is that you've got Got to have some encounter. And then people can end up by chasing encounters. They can go, oh, something amazing's happening at that conference. I'll go there. Or I'll go there. Or have you heard what's happening there? And they're traveling all over the world to hot spots where they can get some encounter. And, and unfortunately, chasing after that doesn't work. In my experience, uh, often you encounter God when you least expect him. And you have uh, an experience of him. Um, so those, I think, are all viable, good answers, but they are, all of them, I think, insufficient. And now I'm going to give you some answers that are not quite as good, but they're out there. Um, so, um, missing the key teaching. So, uh, this is the idea. that some new teaching has just been revealed to a man of God. Come to this conference and your life will be changed. Read this book or pray this prayer and you will, this will be the answer for you. Say these words, have these words said over you. So, and you've probably come across this sort of thing. You know, here's this, uh, this uh, amazing um, answer that you can have. And you need to go and you need to have this. And you get people chasing this, you know, reading this book and, and chasing this, this new teaching. And, you know, would something have really have been hidden for 2,000 years and only only released to a man today who can then put it on his um, website or sell lots of books for it? Well, so I, I, I don't have a lot of value in that. The next one is um, Christian service. Are you, as you serve God, your problems will go away. The real problem is just forget about not having power. Just get on and do it. And as you do it, then the problems will disappear. And unfortunately, they don't. And... Um, if you're serving God and you still got all kinds of spiritual issues, then that's not going to produce fruit. The last one is a kind of give up. You know, get used to it. This is a fallen world. Everything's going to be broken until we get to heaven. So just get used to the fact that things are going to be a mess and you're going to be failing all the time. Um, anybody want to go with that one? I don't think so. I think we're, we're going to leave that one behind as well. 
So um, what I want to do right now, and by the way, some of you may have have some other ideas, some other things you've heard, and there's, I've just given you six here, but there may be some other ones. Bill's got a suggestion. Oh, yes, give more money to the church. That's a great one, yeah. And variations of it, like go on some pilgrimage or do something. Yeah, so there's, you can probably fill in your mind other, other things that are out there. So what I'm going to do is to... To, to talk about what one particular man and his experience. And I think a lot of it is relevant to us. Um, and uh, uh, so anybody know who this guy is? His name is Hudson Taylor. So Hudson Taylor was one of the most remarkable missionaries who's ever lived. You could say he's the main person responsible for bringing the gospel to China. Um, he lived in the mid-1800s, and he radically reinvented missions. Up to that point, if you were a missionary going, say, from the UK or United States, you would go and you would set up a compound in this country, and you'd be dressed in your very European clothes, and you'd have a, like a Euro- you'd eat your European food, and then every day you'd go out to the entrance to your compound, and you'd go and you'd preach to all of these uh, poor uh, heathens, and then you'd come back in, at, at night into your compound where you would live in your you know, North American or European style. And that was the way things worked. And I don't want to be too harsh on that because they didn't have a model and, and this, and the fact that they were out there doing this, they were risking death and many of them died. So I, I don't want to be critical, but uh, what Hudson Taylor did was totally radical at this point and became the pan for missions afterwards. And he changed the way that missions work. So what he did was, he didn't, he saw, this is how he was dressed as an Englishman, but the way that the Chinese would dress is their, pe- their hair would be long in a, in a braid down the back, and they would wear the Chinese dress, and he dressed, and he grew his hair long, he dressed indistinguishable from one of them, he lived among them, he ate their food, he completely adopted their culture. And he said all of the people with him, as part of his missions, had to do the same thing. And this caused a huge amount of criticism back in the UK, where people just thought this was awful, but he persisted in doing this, and it was radically successful. And he said that, he said, Jesus Christ became one of us and took on our, our bodies, and we need to do the same thing when we're doing missions, follow his example and become like the people we're trying to reach. So he opened up the China to the gospel. He saw amazing fruit, but not all was well. Um, he was known by his fellow missionaries as being irritable and hard to work with. Um, all was not well with his inner life, uh, but something happened that transformed him halfway through his work as a missionary. And it's so transforming, you can speak as a before and an after in his life. It was radical. It became a joy for others to work with. He had an inner peace that completely transformed him. And so what I want to look at today is what it was that became this transforming power. Because if we are going to be using our gifts as he was, to, to serve God, we need to understand what the source of power is. So I'm going to do quite a bit of reading from his own journal here, and we're going to read some passages, and, and I'll talk about them as we go through. So this is the first part. Throughout the summer, 
of 1896, Hudson Taylor's morale was low. Irritability was his daily hourly failure. And sometimes he even wondered whether someone so dogged by failure could be a Christian at all. Long periods of separation from his wife Maria added to his inner tension and a bout of severe illness in August, probably pneumonia, didn't help. With all of this went a sense of need. He saw that both he himself and the CIM, that's the China Inland Mission, needed more holiness, life and power. He believed the personal need was greater. I felt the ingratitude, the danger, the sin of not living nearer to God. He prayed. He agonized. He fasted. He tried to do better. He made resolutions. He read the Bible more carefully. He ordered his life to give more time for rest and meditation. But all this had little effect. In other words, he tried those first three things we had on that first slide as ways of getting victory. He writes, every day, almost every hour, the consciousness of sin oppressed me. I knew that if only I could abide in Christ, all would be well, but I could not. I knew I began the day with prayer, determined not to take my mind off him for a moment. But pressure of duties, sometimes very trying, constant interruptions, apt to be so wearying, often cause me to forget him. Then one's nerves get so fretted in this climate that temptations to irritability, hard thoughts, and sometimes unkind words are all the more difficult to control. Each day brought its register of sin and failure, of lack of power. To will was indeed present with me, but how to perform it, I found not. So I don't know if you resonate with this. Um, he's In his journal, he's very candid about what he's going through. He's totally honest in his journal. And so it's actually amazing to see from the inside what's happening in his life. He began to ask himself a series of questions. Is there no rescue? Must it be thus to the end? Constant conflict instead of victory. Too often defeat. And then his last question. How can I preach with sincerity that to those who received Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, i.e. God-like, when it is not in my own experience? So you can see these questions are just torturing him. Instead of growing spiritually stronger, he seemed to be growing weaker and giving in more to sin. He hated himself. He hated his sin. I felt I was a child of God. His spirit in my heart would cry in spite of all, Abba, Father. So he knew he was a Christian. But to rise to my privileges as a child, I was utterly powerless. I began to think that perhaps to make heaven the sweeter, God would not give it down here. I do not think I was striving to achieve it in my own strength. I know I was powerless. I told the Lord so and asked him to give me help and strength. And sometimes I almost believed he would keep and uphold me. But on looking back in the evening, alas, there was but sin and failure to confess and mourn before God. 
This wasn't his state of mind and spirit every minute, every day of those summer months. Rather, he said it was a too frequent state of soul, that toward which I was tending and which almost ended in despair. And yet never did Christ seem more precious, a savior who could and would save such a sinner. And sometimes there were seasons not only of peace but joy in the Lord, but they were transitory. And at best, there was a sad lack of power. So here's a man who's totally committed to serving God. He is somebody who is um, desperately trying to find the answer. What is going to happen to him? What Will he find any answers in this? Now, as I said, we're going to be looking at John chapter 15 today. And you may think, well, has he read John chapter 15? Because that seems to be the kind of thing that he needs to read. Well, he had. He was very familiar with it. And I'm going to go through it now. And then we'll talk about the problems he had and how that was resolved in his life. So let's look at the scripture now. Uh, John chapter 15, and we're just going to be reading the first 17 verses. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it will bear more fruit. You are clean already because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, because apart from me you can accomplish nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you 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 uh, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is honored by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So this is not his experience as he's reading this. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. This I command you to love one another. So this is the key passage for today. What did he make of it when he read this passage? Because it seems to be answering the question. It seems to be answering the question of power, of fruit in his life, and of joy. What did he make of it? Well, we can read in his journal what he said. Throughout this period, he recalled, I felt assured that there was in Christ all I needed, but the practical question was how to get it out. With the biblical picture of Christ as the vine, John 15, on his mind, he wrote, He was rich, truly, but I was poor. He is strong, but I weak. 
I knew full well that there was in the root, the stem, abundant fatness. Fatness isn't a good word today, but in that time, fatness was like, like power, energy, strength. Abundant fatness or richness, but how to get it into my puny little branch was the question. So he's reading this passage and he's saying, yeah, this sounds good, but I'm just not, this isn't working for me. Um, so, uh, as I said, uh, we, this is not a one-size-fits-all answer I'm giving you today. But nevertheless, I think that this is a very important answer. However, what I want to say is that uh, as we go through, and some people have read, uh, what he actually wrote a book about what he discovered. And uh, people have read that book, and they're actually trying to turn it into like a formula that you could follow, and you could become, you could go through Hudson Taylor's experience. And the trouble is, it didn't really work very well because they tried to package it as a formula. And that's, and, and, uh, that you could just do. And some of the people who would try and do this, they were kind of, they, they weren't like him. Like he's passionate for God. He's already doing everything he can. He's committed to using his gifts for God. He's, um, he's, uh, Passionately seeking God, and so what he's what we're going to learn now about him took him to the next level. But what happened was people took his teaching and they said, You know, anybody can have this. You know, you're a lazy Christian, you're not doing it, you know, follow what he says, and that will work, and it didn't. So what I want to say is this worked for him because he was already at that particular point, and this is what he needed in his life. So I'm saying this to start with, just so that you don't think I'm going to give you like an easy one, two, three, say this prayer and you'll be, you know, be your next level. But nevertheless, this, I believe, what he had is relevant to everyone here. Um, it's important for everyone here. It's an, an opportunity for everyone here. But you might need some other things that he had. Like he already had some real determination to give everything to God. He already had like a, such a commitment to follow God, and those things went along with what I'm going to share with you today. So that's important. This is not uh, like getting. It's not like super Christian with no effort. This is this is a a story that he has that we pick up at this point in his life. Um, <clears throat> so a friend of his, he actually wasn't the only one in the China Inland Mission who were going through this at this time. There were some other leaders who were having exactly the same problems as him, and they were sharing their struggles together. And what was quite remarkable is that all of them came through the same experience at the same time, at the same point. And they even like had letters that crossed. They're writing to each other because they were different places that explained to what had happened to each other. And almost simultaneously. So what I'm going to do now is to read... The, his story, what happened to him, and then we're going to go back and look at John, John chapter 15 and just see how what happened to him fits in with the teaching. So this is the last part of his story, and I'm fortunate this is going to be a bit big. Let's try and make... Oh, man. Is that... Can you... You probably can't read that, can you? I've got to make it full size. I just... You can't... I'll read it to you anyway. As I thought of the vine and the branches... What lights the blessed spirit poured into my soul? How great seemed my mistake in having wished to get the sap, 
the fullness out of him. He suddenly had this insight. I say not only that Jesus would never leave me, but that I was a member of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. The vine now I see is not the root merely, but all the root stem, branches, twigs, leaves, flowers, fruit. And Jesus is not only that, he is oil and sunshine, air and showers, 10,000 times more than we have ever dreamed, wished or needed. Oh, the joy of seeing this truth. It's a wonderful thing to be really one with a risen, exalted Savior. To be a member of Christ, that's what it, think of what it involves. The sweetest part, if one may speak of one part being sweeter than another, is the rest which full identification with Christ brings. I'm no longer anxious about anything, as I realize this, for he, I know, is able to carry out his will, and his will is mine. So it's not completely clear in that. There's a lot more of his writings. You can see what it is that was revealed to him. But he realized that he didn't have to work at being a branch. He didn't have to work at connect, being connected with Jesus. He was connected with Jesus. In fact, the, he realized that the Bible teaches that he's united with Jesus. He's joined to Jesus. He's inseparably connected with Jesus. And what he's been doing is worrying about, now how can I be better connected? And the fact was, he already was. Now, he to experience this intellectually was not sufficient. He had an experience of the Spirit writing this deeply into his heart. Yes, I am connected to Jesus. I'm. He is already with me. His power is already flowing through me. And the last paragraph there. Oh, Mr. Judd, Taylor said, walking up and down the room as he often did with his hand behind his back. God has made me a new man. God has made me a new man. I haven't got to make myself a branch. The Lord Jesus tells me I am a branch. I am part of him and just have to believe it. So let's unpack a little bit of what happened to him. What he learned is that it's, he needed to see what had already happened to him, not to make some step to something in the future. He didn't say, try hard to be a branch, but you are a branch. Part of his problem was of seeing Jesus like a gas station where you have to go and you have to fill up your tank and then you have power to drive the next thing and not to see that Jesus is actually already in your vehicle. Jesus is actually with you all the time. You don't have to fill up on him. He's constantly supplying. Um, he gave an analogy uh, of, of a bank account. Um, that if you have a bank account, you can draw money out of the bank account. Um, but we have effectively a joint bank account with Jesus, that his money is there. His, his, uh, what he has is available for us, and it's already there. Let's go back to the passage, and we'll talk a little bit more and try and unpack what it is that happened to him and how this is relevant to us. We've talked about the ideas to start with about that are out there about having victory. We've talked about John 15 and how Hudson Taylor found the answer. And now we're going to talk about our story and how his story is relevant to our story. So let's 
let me just um, go through the passage again, and I want to bring some thoughts to here, into here, which help us to understand what happened to him. So it says here, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me, which is really at the heart of the passage. So it's clear that we actually have to do something. It doesn't happen in our sleep. It's There's something we have to be involved in in this process. Um, but it's also clear that there's nothing that, that, that we can accomplish without God's power. In fact, what's really interesting is later on in this passage, Jesus says his relationship to the Father is like this. He is relying on the Father's power, and we rely on his power in the same kind of way. At verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So there is something that we're doing here to abide in his love. There is some command there, verse 9, abide in my love, that he's telling us to do. What is it he says we're to do? Verse 10, he says, if you keep my commandments, abide in my love. Keep my commandments, abide in my love. When you look at what Jesus means by his commandments, by keeping his commandments, there are two things that stand out, partly in this passage and partly in teaching just before this passage. One of the things is that Jesus said, you, the, the, to, to do my will, to obey what I'm commanding you, you simply have to believe what I say. Believe what I'm saying, and you, that is the command I'm giving you. And so partly... We do his commands by taking what he says at face value and taking what he says that we are already connected with him. But the other part is is walking in love and loving one another. And I'm going to come back to that in just one minute. Um, what Hudson Taylor felt was that he needed to grasp the truth of what was said to him and it seems what happened is this. If I'm going to kind of step out and say, what do I think happened to Hudson Taylor? What happened to him was this. He was serving God with all, he, all his heart. He was pouring his love out for these people. He was trying to obey God as much as he could and doing what he could and trying to walk in trust in this. But what needed to happen was the Holy Spirit needed to write this truth into his heart, that it wasn't just a knowledge, but it was something he felt. And I believe that as he pursued God, God gave him this experience. So what happened to him was actually an experience. An experience that didn't happen in a vacuum. It didn't like happen one day he was you know, not doing anything for Jesus and suddenly it happened. It happened because he was pursuing God. He was pursuing, he was hungry. And God says, if you are hungry, I will fill you. Remember I preached on the verse, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. 
And this is what was happening. He was hungry for God. He was hungry for more. He was hungry for God's power. And he was doing what he could in love and obeying the commandment. Jesus said, if you, if you obey my commandments, you will abide in me. My commandment is to love one another. So as he pursued God in love, in passion, in hunger, desperately, God met him in an amazing way and gave him an encounter. And the encounter was a truth encounter. It was understanding a truth, but it was something that was felt in, inside of him. So suddenly, this idea that Jesus is connected to him and he's constantly, Jesus' power is available to him, suddenly became such a dynamic reality that he was just filled with joy. And he said, you know, I have his power right now. What do I have to worry about? His power is in me right now. And this transformed his life. This transformed him. And there are, there are verses like, um, the one in Ephesians 2 that became a reality to him. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In other words, becoming a Christian is actually being joined to Jesus, being connected with him, that he is inseparably part of us and we are part of him. And, and I want to say that what he experienced at this moment was not that different to what we experience when we become a Christian. Because become a Christian is the same kind of thing. We want God. We want him. We desperately, we need him. And we understand, yes, he, he's done everything. All I have to do is to trust. All I have to do is to accept this gift and he will be united to me. And so if you're not a Christian today, then this, what his journey is the same as your journey. His hunger for more of God will be the same as your hunger and God's filling him will be the same as your filling if you pursue him. And so, uh, the, the story then that he went through and as we connect this to into our story, it is about really having the experience a felt understanding of being joined to Christ inseparably. The Apostle Paul said, nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Um, I told you he gave an example of a bank, of having a bank account. And you can imagine you have a, a bank account, say, at the TD Bank along the street there, and you walk into the bank and uh, you've got, supposing you've got, you know, several thousand dollars in there, and you walk up to the teller and say, I'd like a hundred dollars, please. Here's a, here's a counter check. And, and he says, well, what do you want the money for? What do you mean? You say, I've got the money in there. Give me the money. It's my account. You can give me the money. You don't expect to have to argue with the teller about whether they're going to give you money. He says it's the same thing that, that all of God's power is there for you. It's all promised to you. When you're doing God's will, I mean, I was thinking about this as I was preparing to preach. I'm sitting in the, in the seat there and I'm thinking, you know, I can just say to God, I, I want to preach your word right now. Please give me the strength. I don't have to kind of argue with God why he should give me the, the, the power to preach. Like, I'm preaching your word, God. Give me your strength. It's like it's a promise, like it's there for you. And so if you're serving God, you don't have to somehow 
um, persuade God to give you the answer. He's promised it. It's like a bank account. Um, it's more than that. It's more than that. There was, um, I don't know if you know where the, the, the symbol of a, a wedding ring came from. It came from one of the kings of England. I think it was Edward IV. And he married out of royalty. He married a commoner. And she had nothing and he had all the wealth of England. And at their, at their, their wedding, he gave her a gold coin and a little bag of gold. It was the first time ever somebody had given a gold, sorry, a gold ring. Somebody had ever put a ring on someone's finger at a wedding. But the ring, as he gave it to, he said, with this ring, I do thee wed. And some phrase about, and all the wealth of England is now yours. So when God weds us, he gives us all of his wealth. All of the wealth of Jesus belongs to us. Because now she was wedded to him. They jointly shared all of this wealth because they were married. And so all of the wealth of God belongs to us as we come into union with Jesus Christ. So as we come and we want power for serving him, we don't have to wrestle it out of him. We say, God, you're the vine, I'm the branch, I'm connected with you. I'm Give me all that I need to do your work now. And he will. So this is a belief which is not passive. It steps out in faith. Um, the Spirit spoke this into his inner being. And, and I'm going to close with this. We're not going to close with a song right now. We're going to close with a prayer. Because I want all of you here to have this experience that Hudson Taylor had. I've not had anything as intense as his. But I have at times when I feel I've had an encounter with with the love of Jesus and the unity of Jesus that has been in some little way like his. And I want to pray that all of us have this. And I want to pray that this experience is one that empowers us to bring fruit. It empowers us to do his work and to bring glory to him. So if you want this, uh, I want you don't have to stand. I just want you to, to ask you to stretch your hands out right now if you want this as I'm praying for it. Father, you have given us some amazing promises in your word. And the most amazing is that you are joined with us and we are joined with you in Jesus Christ. And you promise that through this joining, all your power flows into us. And Jesus, you've given us your spirit to experience this joining. I pray for everyone here. I pray every person here will experience something of what you did in the life of Hudson Taylor that we will know without any doubt that all of yours is ours. All that you have is ours. And your power is available to us every moment. And Lord, when we're confronted with sin, with temptation, with weakness, with failure, Lord, we pray that your power will flow into us. We will take it. Lord, we will, we will go to the bank and we will ask for the power that belongs to us. Lord, may we not live failures, discouraged. May we live in victory, in joy, overwhelmed by your love and living in your power. I pray this now for everyone here. In the name and for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.